Hey Auntie is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. We acknowledge that this is the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Cullen Nation. We pay our respect to their elders, past, present and emerging. And we extend that respect to all Indigenous Australians and Indigenous mob all over the world. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. There you are. I've been expecting you. I've just popped the kettle on. Come on in. Hi, and welcome to Hey Auntie. I'm Chantelle Weatherall, and it's my absolute pleasure to have you join me. Hey sis, come on in, take a seat, and make yourself comfy. With Hey Auntie, we're going to remix the proud tradition of the Black Auntie, and we're going to use it to demonstrate that there's millions of ways to be a magical Black woman. Sounds good? Hey Auntie! Hey Auntie! Hey Auntie! Hey Auntie! Should I still be code switching? Auntie Sana Balai is a respected elder in the PNG community in Melbourne. She is uh, a woman who's had a long and incredibly interesting life. The most recent chapter of that has been a role as assistant curator of Indigenous, particularly Pacific art at the National Gallery of Victoria, hugely prestigious artistic institution in Australia. Now, Auntie Sana has been here for a while and she has some amazing experiences to share that illustrate what this entire debate around code switching mean and look like from the perspective of an auntie of her generation. And she also um, shares with us kind of maybe the other side that you don't see when you just see the public persona of the people who have succeeded and opened doors, maybe for the people of my generation, by uh, putting up with the compromise of code switching. Um, It was a incredibly nourishing, enriching, enlightening conversation. I hope you're going to enjoy it as much as I did. I think my transition into art was um, was done out of the necessity. I, I had gone for a couple of job offers in, in Melbourne, having spent 13 years working in the Environment and Research Development Studies. I came here in Australia in 1990, and in the process of trying to get a job, I got uh, I got rejected a number of times. So I managed to score a job. So one day I turned up to work and I got told I lost my job. I humbly walked out, but I forgot to bring, uh, to empty my, my cabinet. So I went back in and while I was in there, I saw this young man. Anyway, to cut the story short, I said to him, what are you doing here? Anyway, he said, I've got a job. And I said, what job? And he goes to the shop and I said, oh, I just lost that job a couple of hours ago. Wow. And that was when I learned. He'd replaced you. Yes. And I walked out of Swinburne University and never turned back. And then transitioning into art. That is a very early lesson, I suppose, in your time in Australia. That was 97. Wow. 97. What did you take away from that experience? What was your reflection on it? Um... I walked out of that place knowing that I was better than that. Having been rejected many times in, in that field, it was really hard to stay positive, but I just had to remind myself that 
given what they did in Papua New Guinea as a woman in the 70s. That would have been groundbreaking. Groundbreaking. And Anywhere in mm, the world. Mm. Unfortunately or fortunately, however you may look at it, I was one of those very few women. When I look at my life, I've always negotiated my, my way around things. In our culture, a woman is the, the chief or the queen of the tribe. So you have gone through an experience of growing up in a matriarchal culture, mm. having huge life shifts mm. with things happening at home, mm. having um, both uh, professional responsibility mm. but also mm. significant cultural responsibility. Mm. And then you've come to Australia, another huge life shift mm. and realised when you've tried to continue your life in your profession that mm. you had so much experience in that, mm. hey, you know what? What is available to me here in this mm. is not worth my time. Exactly. And my transition into art um, came in at a time when when all hell fails, I tend to be a comic. So a girlfriend of mine, her name is Lee Bellara. I love her too bit. Uh, she's blonde and blue-eyed. And I met her through bingo because I took that up an, another amazing. profession, which is bingo. I love that. <laughs> and I, I was feeling really down. And she said, why are you feeling down? And I said, I really want to do work, whether it's it's paid job or not. I just want to do something. I, I feel bored. Anyway, I told her my story. So the next time we, we met at bingo, she came up with this beautiful, shocking pink T-shirt. And she goes, next time you go for an interview, this is what you wear. And, <laughs> and you know what? That pink, that pink, I still have that pink T-shirt at home. What happened with the museum in 1997, a friend of mine, Olive Tao Davis, um, got this uh, ad and she asked me to apply. And uh, by this date, I was still known as Susan. And why were you being known as Susan, Auntie Sana? Uh, because my birth name is Susanna. Right. And I was born in 1957. But when I applied for the first, I don't know whether this was the first job or the first passport, the woman who typed up my passport said, uh, you don't look like Susanna, you look like Susan. So she made me Susan. And I just like that. Just like that. And this is back in Papua New Guinea. And she was a she was a fellow countryman. Wow. Countrywoman. And then she said to me, You look too young to be fifty seven, so we'll make you fifty eight. And even though I celebrate my year, my real birth year, my passport says Susan Balai. Wow. And and to get back to the word to the name Sana, I went for an interview as Susan Balai. Or Mrs. Cleaver at the time. And I remember as I was walking out, the, one of the interviewers said to me, by the way, does Mrs. Cleaver have a, have a name? And I said, Sana. And that's when I became Sana. Wonderful. S Sana is, my, is the name my family calls me, but it's a pet name. Mm. That's beautiful. Mm. I love how fluidly and with how much grace you move through all of these obstacles like mm. this lady just decides to change your name mm. your approach is t uh, to respond with humor I, I think at the end of the day uh, i've always told myself that no one really knew who i was and uh, and the person who knew who knew me better is myself and no matter what happened even though it might hurt you have to rise above it and i would 
I think I'm driven by wanting to make sure that the whoever is behind me doesn't have to go through what I, I've gone through. And I think to myself, if I'm going through this, and because I've got this humor or I've got this strength or this this I'm comfortable in who I am. Imagine what would happen to another another black person out there, another woman out there. No, that's not necessarily black. So I'm driven by the fact that if I can use my experience to pave a way or to build a platform which the next generation can springboard from, then I will die a happy person. That's really beautiful, Auntie. Thank you. That's really beautiful. I'm interested, Auntie Sana, because you went into this prestigious arts institution. My understanding is it was pretty groundbreaking for you to be in that position. I entered the museum at the gallery, NCB as an art handler, and it was at the Christmas party. The senior curator of indigenous art ran across and she said to me, Hello, my name is Judith. And I said, nice to meet you, I'm Sana. And she goes, would you like to come and work with us? And I said, doing what? I said, uh, an assistant curator. And I said, no, not interested, no nothing. And and I thought she was drunk. So I said, why don't you speak to your boss and then come back to me? And then she said, I'm the boss. And I thought, she's definitely drunk. <laughs> and I said, to shut her up, I said, come back, next, uh, come back in two weeks time and offer me the same job. Well, two weeks time, I got a call from friend who was the head of HR. I started on January in the Indigenous Department as a cu- assistant curator with Pacific Art as my main focus. And when I look back at the date, I recall a conversation I had two years prior to that at La Trobe University. So a person, I will not call his name. So I went and interview, had an interview with him. And in the process, as I was talking, he said, stop there. Let me say something. The course is very hard. Right. And by the time you feel, how old are you? And I said, I'm 46 or something. You're wasting your time. Let me tell you, the course is very, very hard and you won't survive. Plus, the most sought after job is curator of indigenous art, you will not even go as as close to getting an assistant curatorial job in the indigenous department. I looked at him and I said, tell you what, I don't need a university degree, but I'm going to be the assistant curator of indigenous art at the most prestigious place two years from two years from today. When I back, come back to the story, when I look back on the 24th of January, the day, two years to the day, I became that person. Wow. The assistant curator. Six months later, I caught up with this guy. I said, hello, how did you get here? And I knew what he meant. And I said, through the door. (laughs) And he goes, I know, but how did you? And my husband's standing in and goes, oh, my God, not not again. Anyway, I said, the same way you came here. Anyway, he goes, so what are you up to today? And I said, oh, well. Put it this way, since you told me I didn't have the brain, I used my next best asset. And my husband, Brian, is standing there and said, oh, my God, he's going to do it. And I lifted my top up and showed him my boobs. You did not, I did. auntie. I did. And my mom <laughs> and my husband goes, that's my wife. I love that. Oh, my goodness. And, and Judith and I often joke that I, I got my job by showing Judith my boobs. <laughs> that is the funniest thing I have ever heard. Yeah. I... I love that you have just faced 
all of these obstacles with such good humor you are using humor to do something quite important though aren't you yes and i get hurt but then i i pull out i i allow myself to experience that feeling uh, as long as i i know i, I have to pull out of it uh, because we're all human and you allow yourself that to experience that that feeling and i have and often it's something i've always done at the ntv I used to clean toilets whenever I get angry. Uh, two things, I either blow up and people think I don't have a temper. I do have a temper. But I just know when and how to put it across. Right. So whenever things got challenging for me at the NTV, I would go and clean the toilet just wow. to get to get my anger out and I come back and smile. And you back go again. and do something constructive mm, yes. and work it out yeah, and, and then come, come back. Out. Because the most important most important thing for me is I realized earlier on when I uh, when I got the job that I was in a unique place in a unique position and it was important for me to use it in a way that would build a platform for the next generation to to come and and, and springboard from and for me when I first accepted the job there was three things I wanted to achieve the first one was that I was going to present and represent art from the Pacific from cultural perspective. Whoever came after me would then represent them from an artistic perspective. Secondly, when I went into the NCV, the Pacific collection was nothing. I mean, it was there, but no one had done it. The, the person before me had catalogued eight objects in eight years. But she, was, she, had, she had the, the indigenous uh, which is the right thing to do is to concentrate on the indigenous because we have visitors here and you always know your space and your place where the indigenous culture is. And I've always taken my cue, being mindful that I'm a visitor here, therefore I, I pay my respect and I, I take my cue from the indigenous Australians. I love that, auntie. And then the, the third and last thing was that I was going to write myself out of the job in 10 years because wow. it, it is only fair it is only fair that opportunities be given to the young and up and coming and that was how I, I saw my position there so you had a clear vision mm-hmm. going vision. in yeah. and was that what helped you when because I I really I love the, the humour that everyone mm. um, loves you for but I also love that you express that Just Mm. because you're laughing doesn't mean Mm. it's not hurting. And Mm. I, you know, we talk as women in my generation Mm. about the pressure on us to conform and the Mm. pressure of people's expectations and withstanding that. What you would have experienced as the first woman in your field Mm. would have been so many multiples of that, auntie. See, when I reflect and actually said it when I, when I went, when I, when I had my farewell party at the NTV, in my speech there were a number of things I, I pointed out or I said at that, at that time. And one of them was being a curator of indigenous art slash art of the Pacific was the most loneliest, loneliest time of my job, loneliest time of my time, wow. career-wise. Because A you're presenting and representing art form that no one either understands or has the time to understand. So it is up to you to, to, to bring it out there 
huge responsibility. Especially to to make to make to to bring it up because my main aim was the to see art from the Pacific uh, and other minority cultures here hang proudly at the institution where you had uh, that of Europe and Asia, which are big thing, big big collections. Then I wanted I wanted the Pacific region to be part of that and. I, I think I achieved that the, in that institution, a curatorial position for art from the Pacific did not exist. It still does not exist. Even so you have no one you can ask, no. nobody you can say, no. how do you do this, sister? Yeah, exactly. And there were, there were curators from the indigenous Australians um, in here However, I, I was respectful that I did not want to imprint, even though I could. I just didn't want to stir up any any unnecessary. Um, so you bore the burden yourself, yes. and there was no one out there I could go and ask. Up until some years later, but prior to that, it was just blind doing things, learning from your mistake. The more mistakes I made, rather than be offended, I would say now. What did I do wrong? How could I improve on that? But how can I do it without... Um, most of the time, I would put my personal feelings aside and focus on doing that, doing what, doing something that would benefit the Pacific or the indigenous or the women, especially the women in future. It sounds like a huge amount of personal sacrifice for many years mm-hmm. um, to continue to do the work that you were so driven mm-hmm. and purposeful mm-hmm. to do. It's so beautiful to hear that you were later in your career able to find at least mm-hmm. some women who mm-hmm. you could share with mm-hmm. and relate to. Um, well, while you were having to shoulder all of that, Auntie, and you couldn't express yourself fully at work, mm-hmm. how did you how did you um, release that pressure that was on you? Did you how did you shake it off when you were not at work? Um, originally, I, I'd be known to people. I used to fly the last ten years, or the ten years prior to me leaving work. I had this hobby. I've always wanted to be a pilot. Wow. So what I do is I used to go to a flight simulator and fly Boeing 737. Oh, my, to mm-hmm. relax. Relax. I love that. And and also I came across the next generation, Namila Benson. Oh, yeah. And Namila Benson, Lisa Healy later on, Lisa Waup, Talwe Havini, Lisa that, and Marian Talepao, uh, and Leuli and Grace. These are the 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 up and coming and who are now established yes. uh, artists in their own rights and academies being surrounded by them and 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 being able to to share your experience with them to make sure that uh, hopefully that can help them navigate their way in amongst uh, and find their niche in this whole uh, world in in their own profession I can imagine seeing the next generation mm. coming through and so mm. vibrant and talented mm. would have been almost like a reward for all of your mm. hard work. Yeah. And also I took up dancing. Not tra- uh, I used to perform with a traditional group, Amazing. me and my grass skirt. Amazing. And Do you still dance? Uh, not. The last time I danced was uh, the 40th anniversary for Papua New Guinea Independent. I can't dance now because... H is taken up and my legs are going Aww. because of um, 
um, injuries uh, over the years. And one thing I've always been able to do is express whatever feeling by writing songs. I've been Beautiful. writing songs and I, I, I'm self-taught uh, guitar playing. So uh, I, I, I express the, the hurt and everything by writing songs and just singing it to myself. That's beautiful, mm. just so you can process it. Yes. If mm. you're not in a situation mm. where it's safe to do it, mm. at least you have an outlet. Mm. And, and, and the most important thing to me now is when you look, not just in the Pacific, but the women globally, the African, the Asians, the, the group that I, I, I come across who, who are now driving, and I feel... First of all, I used to feel that I wish I had that, but then I tell myself, no, Sana, you, you were brought here to pave the way for them. So I'm going to walk into the sunset knowing that at least I had a little dent in, in, little dent in, in paving a way for, for, for the younger generation to springboard from. And I hope as women, especially women, that we have a more we have a, a strong platform where we can be ourselves and do and have a voice out there without having to be suppressed all the time yes i, I went through a, like you were mm, you know yeah. not you know you you dealt with it beautifully mm. but mm. you had to you had to remain silent a lot yes. of the time or make exactly. light and laugh exactly. things off whereas now you know the debate the question that i'm asking in this episode is um, should we still be code switching? Should we still be changing ourselves so that mm. so that we make the people are the predominantly white organizations and people we're around comfortable? And I actually think speaking to you, Auntie, mm. has made me reflect on the fact that when um, your generation and other mm. amazing um, uh, people who were paving the way for mm. us, it wasn't even a question. No. You didn't have any choice. We just had to do it. And Namila and I have often spoken about it, and it, in fact, it was Namila who put it, who put the clarity into it. And when it comes to when you speak about grammar, uh, when you look at it grammatically, uh, my generation, I'm a same generation as Namila's mother and parents, and our generation, we have a, we 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 still suffer. If I can put it that way, we still suffer the riffles of colonization, right. and therefore we speak only when when you're spoken to. However, me as a person wouldn't do that. I will speak when I ha when I feel I have the right to speak, but I will put it to you in a way where you can understand it. And in humor has has allowed me to do that. I will put it in a in a humorous way that will catch attention. But then you go back and you think about, oh yeah, that's what that's true. Namila's generation. Is a generation that's more apologetic because they are now the recipient of, of that or whatever the right to 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 speak, but they feel they have to apologize because they've been given and we haven't. The generation after that have a voice, and they're very fiery. And as I said to the NCBU when I, when I left, uh, the next generation have a voice. Institutions' role is to create a space for them to come and. My role is to guide them on how to use the voice. Use it. There's a place and a time for everything. And if uh, if we're not careful, this younger generation will just go fire. 
and by firing can actually work against them because we have broken into an, a, a space where that was, that was mostly white and you don't want doors to close before you get in. So it's navigating your way. So what I'm hoping to happen is that the platform expands. We have sit on this platform, we have a conversation because where we are in this current situation is it's no longer mine or yours. The contemporary artists of indigenous are using Western medium. And if you look at European art, the likes of Matisse, the lack of Picasso, the lack of Gauguin were inspired by African art and Oceanic Melanesian art. So you can absolutely see it, can't you, in exactly. their work? And it's highly recorded, yet it's not, it's not spoken about, so it's no longer mine or yours. For the future generation, because there's so many intermarriages also, blood mixing and also culture. How do you pick one from the other? Thanks again to my amazing guest, and thank you for listening. So you've heard what the aunties have to say. What do you think? HeyAuntiePod at gmail.com, Facebook or Instagram. That's Auntie A-U-N-T-Y. Don't forget to like and subscribe and join us in a week for the next show.